Hey church, how did you wake up today? Uh, how do you wake up most days? And, uh, and has that changed at all in the last 10 months? Uh, generally speaking, some people wake up relatively happy on the right side of the bed or whatever. Some people wake up a bit sad. The default setting for folks that wake up on the wrong side of the bed is that sort of melancholy or a, a sort of low-grade ache. How many of you that's your bent? If you had a, a regular cry or prayer or mantra in your life, it's something like, God, like, like fix me. Fix me. If you ever asked, like, will I always sort of just be just sort of down? Or maybe it's more severe than that. Like, will I always be miserable? Do you wake up with this sense of, like, this is kind of who I am and I can't escape it? I had a friend uh, in college I walked through some tough times with. And uh, I remember always thinking how irrational something like suicide is or like was to me. And it wasn't until walking with him that I, I realized like it's not until you're in that dark place that you realize um, how you begin to think about any way that you can stop the pain, death serves as almost a sort of release. Do you wake up and hope just feels like it's in short supply? Now, by nature, I'm one of those people who, who wake up generally happy. I wake up on the right side of the bed, which makes me a strange candidate to be talking today about anxiety and depression, besides the fact that I am your pastor. But I do want to say that for much of my life, um, my, my ministry life especially, I constantly find myself wrestling with, along, with and alongside others who are struggling with anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression have loomed large in our ministry at Sanctuary since we began. It seems every year it, it almost like looms larger. And so as we talk about anxiety and as we talk about depression, specifically in 2020, I want to just throw a few numbers at you. So of the, you know, 300 plus million people that there are um, in our country, uh, back in 2010 uh, was the last stat I had for this. There are 253 million prescriptions for antidepressants in the U.S. Second highest volume drug in America. Uh, Americans spent over 12, 13 mil, billion dollars on antidepressants, over 40 billion on psychotropic drugs. Um, one in six to eight Americans are on a psychiatric drug on a regular basis. Um, 34,000 suicides per year. Um, this is back in 2010, that has increased. The third leading cause of death amongst teenagers. Um, mental illness in the US has tripled since 1987. Uh, it's just, uh, there's these unbelievable data sets. Like one, what is it, one in every 10 Americans like are on an antidepressant. 9.7% of youth in the U.S. have severe or major depression compared to like the 9.2 of last year and it keeps 
going up. Prescriptions for antidepressants uh, and anti-anxiety and anti-insomnia medications have shot up 21%. They shot up 21% in February of March of 2020. Like that was before the world turned upside down. 11% of Americans in 2019 were taking some sort of drug. And then there are just these articles, as I was researching the last couple of weeks, that are just, they're just everywhere. Uh, one that I saw was, everyone is, on, everyone is on antidepressants right now. Is that okay? Just that question shows up in like 10 different forms with just a simple Google search. And it's just, and it's an endless trail of, of recognizing just how bad things are. 2020 will not just be remembered for COVID-19 and the election or racial uh, justice. It's going to be remembered as the year that we acknowledge the mental health crisis that really has been in our midst for a while. And obviously this moment has just exasperated everything. And so my prayer for the next few minutes together is that we experience a turning point. Like those that wake up happy and those that wake up sad. A new journey can begin for us because as we spoke about on Vision Sunday, if we're a church that's being called to play the long game, one massive part of playing the long game is learning how we um, carry each other, getting better at carrying one another's burdens as the scriptures demand of us. Um, My hope is that we mark out a path of healing today. Um, that those of you who are more maybe like me, like are, have some tools and a way of thinking about how to carry our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and friends who are struggling. So I, I wanna begin with just a really simple statement that as far as I can tell in all of my reading is uh, at the center of, of uh, or at the beginning I should say, the foundation of the path of healing. And it's just this, you are not alone. You are not alone. People think that they are, when it comes to this, the only people on the planet who struggle. There is this stigma, and especially oddly enough pops up in the church, and I'll get to this in a minute, that if you struggle with depression or anxiety, like you're the, you're the odd person out, and nothing could be further from the truth. Just to be clear and to state the obvious, followers of Jesus are not immune from this epidemic. The Bible, the Bible tells a raw and uncensored story of people coming up against anxiety and coming up against depression, including Jesus. And I want to show you a few of these places. So uh, we got a little bit of of, uh, scripture to get through. So turn with me, if you would, uh, to Job, to Job. Whenever I think about Job now, I can't help but think about that Kanye line. He talks about when he thought Job was a job. So if you always just pronounce Job job, you're not alone. (laughs) Job. Job is blessed by God. He walks with God. He's the successful human being. And then tragedy strikes. Murderers take away his family, robbers take away his business and his wealth, 
And at first, when this happens, Job says, naked I, have, I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He's sort of like, this is horrible, but you know, like, this is just what happens. And he gives sort of like the right answer, an inspiring answer, a true answer. But the problem is, is that's chapter one and there are 40 chapters in the story of Job. The other 39 do not sound like that at all. In Job 30, uh, chapter, uh, yeah, Job chapter 30, verse 15. We read, and now my life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and to ashes. Ever feel like Job? Death, sadness, unemployment. Like you started with hope. But time just begins to wear you down. The marriage isn't getting better. You're not getting pregnant. You haven't found a partner yet. The story of Job, just for those of you who are in that place, reminds us you're not alone. Turn with me to, uh, to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Uh, we're going to pick up the story of Elijah uh, Elijah, if, even if you're unfamiliar, he's just fresh off this big military victory at, Mar at Mount Carmel. Uh, he is like on this high and then things take a turn. 1 Corinthians 19 uh, verses 1 to 5. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, this big victory that he had had, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, like she's coming after him. And we read in verse three, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. This is in the Bible. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah afraid. So we see Elijah with some semblance of anxiety. Elijah uh, saying, I have had enough. Elijah, there's this sense of depression. He runs for his life. He's worried, paranoid maybe even. And then we get these hard to hear lines, Lord, would you take my life? We have Elijah here, suicidal. You ever feel like this, like high highs, military victory, and then low lows in the next breath? Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the history of the world, reminds those of us that struggle with anxiety and depression. He reminds us that we're not alone. Turn with me to the Psalms and look at one of my favorite characters when it comes to talking about our emotions, emotional health, talking about anxiety, talking about when things get dark and hard and real, is David. In the middle of the book, 
of the middle of the Bible is this book of the Psalms. They were put together for worship in the temple. And um, David Wright has written like two-thirds of them. Now, when it comes to prayers and it comes to worship music, oftentimes within the, the, uh, the church, uh, we have this tendency, I think, towards two extremes. One, we get a bit stoic. <coughs> Excuse me. We get a bit stoic. Uh, so we sort of say the buttoned-up prayers, the right things. Uh, those of us who came up reading a lot of liturgy, like there's the right way to say things. And then there is this sort of um, hyper, like, I don't know, I used to call it like happy, clappy Christian, this sort of um, everything's going to be all right and let's just pray and God and victory. It's like everything is just seems like amped up to a degree that doesn't feel quite real. Those two responses, the stoic and the sort of, <clears throat> I don't know, blind idealism or something, I, whatever you call the other side of that, alien to the Psalms. David says things like this in the Psalms. He writes, Have mercy, have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? I'm worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. How long, how long, how long? He goes on, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. This is honest. And then you also find him saying things like this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed electric guitar. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy. He's often saying these things and jumping like this in the exact same psalm, in the same poem, in the same song running the pendulum up and down. Is this you? You're not alone. While we're in the Psalms, uh, there are the, uh, some of the other Psalms are written by these sons of Korah. These are the, uh, the, the worship leaders writing songs that were meant to be put to music. So this would have been put to music in the temple. Psalm 88. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with trouble and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. Verse 5, I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. They're singing this. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest thoughts. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you. I spread out my hands to you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me all day long. You surround me like a flood. They surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken from me, my friend and neighbor, darkness. Darkness is my closest friend. It just ends. It just ends. It doesn't even wrap up like a lot of the Psalms 
like a lot of David Psalms with like, but rejoice in the Lord. No, just darkness is my closest friend. This was one of the worship songs in the temple. Imagine being here, singing this. Darkness is my closest friend. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? I've been in anguish all of my life. And it doesn't reprise with, and so therefore I hope in the Lord. No, it just ends. It just ends. We believe this. If you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian. You believe this is like God breathed in some way. All of it is like useful for teaching, for instruction. There's something powerful and authoritative about the Bible. And this is in there to sing. This probably isn't new to a lot of you, but God is not scared of honesty. Not only is he not scared, he invites it. You go back to the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis. We see like humanity at its core, at its most primal. the, The sin here is hiding from God. We want to hide from God. My favorite people to pray with are the folks who have like just become followers of Jesus. I remember sitting here a couple of years ago, just talking with somebody and encouraging them to pray as they had just become a follower of Jesus. And they're like dropping F-bombs like every few seconds. Like just no, like just talking how they would normally talk and being honest about what they were struggling with. And it just dawned on me, like this is not novel and I love this. They are just literally talking to God like they would talk to anybody else. Like imagine that. So we have Job, we have Elijah, we have David. We could turn um, to more modern history, like the Mother Teresa as an example, who have wrestled and struggled and needed to be really honest with what was happening in their heart and their soul, having dark nights of the soul, struggling with anxiety and struggling with depression. You are not alone. And then we have Jesus. Isaiah calls the coming Messiah, which turned out to be Jesus, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. This Jesus, this Messiah that's coming, will be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We have a famous scene in uh, John 11 where Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus has died. Turn with me to John 11. We read, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also were weeping. He was deeply moved. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. There was no talk of like, oh, well, you know, he's on his way to heaven. There was no talk of of hope in that moment. Actually, the phrase deeply moved can be translated torn up inside. He was torn up. And the word here for wept carries the connotation of like sobbing, heaving in grief, one dictionary says, heaving in grief. One other section that we've covered a lot recently, Luke 22. Luke 22, we read, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. This is right before he's about to go uh, to trial and to the cross. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. So Jesus is before the Father, and he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. If you're willing, I would rather not go and experience the crucifixion, arguably the worst uh, execution uh, device that humanity has ever cooked up. 
And then he says, yet, but not my will, but yours be done. I want what you want more than what I want for myself. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, we don't know, you know, the details of the scene. But that, that, that little detail there is interesting. There actually is a medical term. When anxiety reaches a certain level, you actually start bleeding through your pores. You can, I can't pronounce the phrase. You can go look it up. I point to all these passages because Jesus is no stranger to emotional pain. And to underscore something essential and critical, um, primary to addressing mental health, we, we see something in Jesus and in Elijah and all these characters. You are not alone. If Jesus is acquainted with sorrow and can restore and we believe can make new, how should we think about healing when it comes to mental health because healing is a little slippery especially when it comes to this subject the prayers I've always prayed the posture I've had since I started out in ministry was praying for God to heal the anxiety and heal the depression Lord would you take away their anxiety would you take away their depression and like most things if you know me in my life like there's a sort of a rush to like hey make things better look on the bright side let me reframe this for you this is my gift And then as I began to read and learn and walk more closely with others, I started to realize like, or I should say, I started to ask the question, do we need healing from anxiety and depression or do we need healing from something else? Stay with me and turn with me back to the Psalms. I don't want to park it here. As we begin to close in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. All right, Psalm 42. Uh, So at the beginning of Psalm 42, we have a little uh, note. It says, for the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Now, a maskil, from what we understand, is basically a poetry or a song that is meant to instruct us. So it's not just a a rant and not just... um, something emotive and looking in on an honest prayer. This is actually meant to teach us something about God. We have some theology here. And so we read, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So first off, the writer remembers, remembers the past. I wasn't always like this. And then we read in verse 5, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior, my God. This is the question. Why? Why am I downcast? Why am I disturbed? Why am I depressed? Why am I stressed out? Why am I nervous or anxious or worried or unhappy? Or maybe you could put it another way. Like what is causing it? What deep down in your soul is robbing you of joy? And what's actually just leaking out 
as anxiety and depression? What is behind the anxiety and depression? What is causing that? This is the question. Because there are two ways to think about anxiety and depression. One is we can think about it as like a disease. There is simply a chemical imbalance in your brain, which you may have heard that phrase before. In researching and talking with therapists, this actually isn't really a thing. It's far more complex. And study after study uh, really seem to be proving that it's just not that simple. In fact, there's a lot we really don't know. To be clear, there's no demonstrable evidence that a chemical imbalance causes depression. There are all sorts of factors involved. Uh, Dr. Chen, who put this article together that um, Elizabeth, who's going to be on in just a moment, shared with me. We're going to drop actually in the chat here. Uh, He says that the cause uh, is most usefully conceptualized, uh, most easily understood, as a complex interplay between genetic predisposition and behavioral and environmental factors. So, uh, there's, it's a sickness, we can view it that way, that's kind of completely out of our control. Or, another way to think about anxiety and depression is thinking of it as a symptom. Something is wrong, for sure, and something inside you, maybe it's your body, soul, thought life, habits, routines, uh, it's your, maybe it's your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your past, some abuse that you've done or has been done to you, trauma, diet, work schedule, idolatry. It's, a, it's kind of an endless list. It could be a million different things, but something is wrong inside in the deepest part of you, in your mind, body, and heart. Something is off. Something's not quite right, and it's leaking out. And the result is anxiety. The result is depression. If anxiety and depression are simply a disease, that changes things. It would make sense uh, to get mad, (laughs) mad at the world, mad at circumstances, mad at God, to ask God why, and maybe just to get on as many meds as you can, or to pray for healing from the anxiety and depression, and that becomes the focal point. If they're a symptom, if they're, I should say, largely a symptom, that changes some things. You may be a victim due to past trauma, but moving like to blame, specifically to blaming God, that, that doesn't really hold water, especially when we know that God is suffering with us. One writer says the cross of Jesus is sort of this image of God screaming alongside us. It's God's way of saying, me too. And this relates not just to physical anguish and relates not just to temptation, but relates to the brokenness in our emotions. Psalm 42, the writer is asking God, why? Why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? What is not right? It's illustrating something um, that's all over the scriptures and funny enough, all over the modern Western mental health field. It's this um, simple idea of being honest. Get honest. Get honest with God and get honest with others. Be real with those around you. Whether it's in a home church or it's that relationship that you have that you say is is really important and primary in your life, but actually there's not the kind of vulnerability in it that you can go there. Get honest with God. 
begin to really pray for healing, but not from the anxiety and depression. Pray and seek healing and salvation from whatever's broken inside you, from whatever is behind the anxiety and depression. Pray from, pray from healing, like pray for healing from that. Begin there. Because some of you, and I, I want to say this because I love you so much and have met with so many of you, especially over the last year. But, but some, for some of you, anxiety and depression have become your identity. It's where you get attention. It's where you get empathy. It's where you get love. Uh, a friend of mine who's a therapist, Brittany Morose, says, there is freedom and release in being able to separate ourselves from our mental illness or our mental wellness, to be able to separate ourselves. Because that isn't who you are. What she's saying, right, is that anxiety and depression is not the truest thing about you. And if you're here and a follower of Jesus, the truest thing about you, we're told, uh, go specifically to Colossians, right? We're told we are in Christ. That's who we are. Children of the Most High, sisters, brothers, sons and daughters of God, blessed and dearly loved and forgiven partners, heirs. We are free. For others of you, uh, you... Um, Again, I say this with all love, like there's a temptation to see it only in terms of being a victim. You want to blame God, you want to blame the chemistry in your brain. And that so often um, that thinking isn't what will help you move toward healing. First step, and really the, the fifth step, and then the tenth step, and then the thirtieth step in the journey. The step you keep going back to is being honest before God and honest in community, which to state the obvious is hard. It's hard because it requires vulnerability and vulnerability doesn't come easy to too many of us. As I mentioned before, we see in the Genesis narrative that part of what it means to be whole and human and fully connected with God is to be right naked and unashamed without shame. So what we're noticing is killing us in 2020 is what has been killing us all along. It's isolation. Because look, we don't regulate our emotions without someone else's brain. Like we all need someone to come to us and to find us. This is how we wrestle through this. A really good friend of mine has came to me recently and just put himself out there in a way that, um, yeah, he hadn't ever before. And it was just, he's been going through it. Like a lot of us, he's been, he's, just, he's been really going through it. And he just looked at me like straight into the eye and just said, I need you. And I need you to keep coming after me. I need you. This is recognition that our connection and our friendship, that that place and that environment was necessary to his flourishing in this next season. Who are the people coming to find you? Who are, the, who are you going after? Being vulnerable is gonna be essential to our healing. Acclaimed psychotherapist and uh, Jesus follower, Kurt Thompson, he, uh, he says, every one of us needs to be seen Write these down, seen, soothed, and safe 
seen, soothed, and safe to be secure. And those three things require the presence of another person. This is why when it comes to something like confession, like quick tangent for a minute, when the scriptures say, confess your sins to one another, why not just be able to confess them to God? There's something powerful about confessing your sins to another person. One, as Bonhoeffer says, it makes it real. It makes it so much more real. But two, it is through other people, through family, through community, through the church. That is so often God's vessel, so often for healing. What shame wants to do is to keep all of that under wraps. Shame tries to hold us back from knowing who we are and what's really going on below the surface. Think of healing in your body. Uh, I, Corey and I have this joke. I just, I hate to take ibuprofen. It's like this very known thing in my house. Uh, it's not that I don't take it. It's just, I always think for whatever reason, it's this little tick I have, as soon as uh, I'm about to go reach for ibuprofen, I just think there's something causing this headache and all ibuprofen is doing is sort of papering over it. It's usually like, I just don't drink enough water. Like I have a headache, I have a headache. <clears throat> and uh, I can take all the ibuprofen I want, but it's not gonna really ultimately fix the headache. If I want healing, I have to go to the what? I have to go to the root of things. I have to heal what's inside. The exact same thing is what's true as it relates to anxiety and depression, right? Medication is not enough. Medication is helpful sometimes because it turns the volume down on all of that ache and pain, immediate pain on the surface. But you do that in order then to face what's going on. So right now, even as you're listening, if you're thinking about medication, like make sure you see a bunch of people first, not just one, and do some research. Ibuprofen is great, but it's not gonna heal me. <laughs> if I wanna get better, if we wanna get better, we have to do some surgery. We have to diagnose the soul. We have to look at the complexity of what's happening and why these symptoms are rising to the surface. You have to go into the recesses of your heart and allow God to reveal what is broken deep inside of you and deep inside of me. Look, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus finds you in the broken places. That's where Jesus does his best work. The gospel of Jesus says God will chase after you in that vulnerable and hurting place. All right, Luke 5, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that's who I've come for. That's who I've come for. So maybe you're here, you're healthy, you're doing great. This message has, uh, please don't uh, think for a moment this message is not for you. Who are the people that God might lay on your heart right now that you need to go after and you need to run after, that you need to commit to sitting with, even though it's hard? If we are gonna play the long game here at Sanctuary Church, we need to master the art of carrying one another's burdens, of sitting with those that are hurting, of mourning with those who mourn. And obviously, if you're here and anxiety and depression have been rearing their head more than ever this past year, there is a great physician and he wants to work in your life and he wants to heal you. And it is in those broken places, those honest, vulnerable places that God does his best work. And you look out over religious systems, 
and you look out over like the five noble truths or different versions of spirituality, and I meet very few people who wouldn't have some sort of semblance of spirituality or way they understand what it means to be good and be a human and be just in this world. Of all the systems, one of the most unique aspects of the Christian faith of the way of Jesus, one of these utterly powerful and unique things is it, um, it has a God who is running up the road to us, coming to find us, seeking the lost and the broken because no one else is coming for you. No other system, no other iteration of God or understanding of spirituality, no one else is moving towards you. It's what you need to do to access, to get, to come into alignment. And it is the Jesus story that announces the good news that the king of the world, that love incarnate, the ground of our being has made itself known to us, has come to us. And that like, plays on a macro level, but it plays in those day-to-day -day moments when anxiety and depression are like knocking at our door or who have barged right in. We the church, we are invited to walk alongside brothers and sisters in their suffering. Our role is not to diagnose or to I don't know, conjecture a cause or prescribe a treatment. Our role is to walk with people in their ache and I have found over and over that in God's kindness, that side-by-side -side ministry can alleviate suffering and provide the environment necessary for deep and true healing to begin. And so I just wanna to say today, I, um, I believe um, the crazy idea that, that God can do anything in this moment and that this can be a turning point. Or maybe for some of you, this can be a reminder and so I just wanna pray and I wanna in this moment of prayer for you to just raise your faith for a moment that even though we can't invite you down to the front and lay hands on you, you can't have a moment where we can strike up the band and like go in in that way that even now, even right here in this moment, maybe you just like stumbled upon this broadcast today and um, you're, you're like, I'll just try anything. Like, would you be open to the idea that the God of the universe might enter into your situation and provide healing in some way. And then I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna say amen. And then my friend Elizabeth, who I mentioned before, who's a, a therapist in our community, uh, she's a part of Sanctuary Eastside. She's just gonna kind of give the last word um, and just share uh, just some opportunities for those of you who just need to see a counselor and a therapist to see some of the opportunities that are open to you. And, uh, and then directly after that, we're gonna go and take communion together in Zoom and we will have our prayer team ready for anyone um, who needs to jump into a breakout room and just receive some, uh, some additional prayer this morning. So let's take a moment to just be still and to pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? We cry out to the God of Lazarus who was raised from the dead. We cry out, Lord, the God of David who amidst whatever was going on in his inner world um, was just racked with, with doubt and guilt and who had just committed some horrible, horrible sins 
all the while being someone close to your heart. Lord, we cry out to that God who he kept um, infusing his life with hope and joy and refreshment. We cry out to the God of Paul who though continually had some sort of thorn in his side, something that he continued to struggle with, who could count it all a joy because he could see the work that God was doing in and through it. To the great physician, to the God who heals, to the God who meets us in our most broken places, to the God who's looking for that broken and contrite heart, like that honest heart, the God who doesn't heal our pretend desires, but our, our real wants and our real aches. Lord, we ask you in this moment that my friends, my brothers and sisters and strangers who are sitting on couches and watching on phones and iPads or who are scattered about, that you in this moment, Lord, we visit and meet them. That you would encourage, that you would reveal, Lord, next steps. That you, Lord, um, would turn down the volume of the anxiety and depression, even if just in this moment, Lord, would you do that to allow them, um, Lord, to see. Lord, to see what's happening below the surface. I think of David's, or uh, the psalmist prayer in Psalm 139, the prayer, Lord, search me and know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Like, see, see what's going on inside me, any offensive way, any broken way, anything that I've done or has been done to me. Like, reveal those and then lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of life. Lead me in, in the life that is true life, Lord. We just, I pray that for every friend who is just beaten down and exhausted, who has swallowed some unhelpful theology that all they are is a broken and sinful person and that's their identity, Lord. For every person who, who struggles to acknowledge that they are loved, that they are not alone. Not only not alone in like a biblical, like you're with them sense, but like not alone and that there are people around them who, are, who, are, who you are calling on now to go to them and walk with them. I pray for those, Lord, that are struggling with uh, being vulnerable, who deal with shame or just, or pride. God, in this moment, would you tear it down? that we as a church, Lord, would be able to truly play the long game, to have that holy endurance that's spoken of, to be able to carry each other, to provide healing for each other, to be hands and feet, Lord, of your salvation, Lord, to each other. Spirit, come. Amen. So I want to give Elizabeth a last word here, and then I'll see you in just a moment uh, to take communion together.